Do you think that you could become an authoritarian dictator of a society? Oh, I already am. Mm, explain. <laughs> I'm the parent of a three-year-old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how, how does that how does that translate into authoritarian dictatorship? Oh yeah, well, um, I'm I, I try to be kind of a low key authoritarian. Mm. Um, so it's like. I try to basically trick my son into doing what I want him to do by presenting him with two options that mm-hmm. I can live with. Is that what a dictator does? Well, I think a really good dictator makes you think like you're doing it. Really? Isn't that, I mean, do you, I'm just thinking like dictator. I'm thinking like, like dictate, like you dictate, do this, you do like that. You do this, you do that. I mean, but is that a more effective, I mean, it's, okay, we, okay. we could say it's a more effective form of power, certainly to make people feel like they're choosing, even if they're not, it's more like yeah. a behind the scenes kind of thing. This is Weird Religion, a podcast for people who know religion is weird but love it anyway. I'm your host, Leah Payne. I'm a professor, historian, author, and probably the thing I like most about survivalist communities is the fact that they eat a lot of pepperoni sticks. Do they really? I imagine that I want, they do. I want in on that. <laughs> I'm your host, Brian Doak. I'm an author, professor, biblical scholar, and I tried to be a prepper once, but now all of my canned food is expired. Aww. Today we're talking about Blackout, a podcast produced in old-timey radio theater format about a town that descends into chaos when the grid goes down. Has technology made us soft? And how does authority function in hard times? Join us. Join us. Well, okay, I'll just say this. Um, my best version of myself is what I just told you. Yes. Like my least best version of myself is a parent. But the best version of myself is like um, Mama Tiger from um, Daniel Tiger, the mommy. Okay. Mrs. Tiger from Daniel Tiger. Okay. I'm like empathetic and oh. give my son, you know, present options. But the worst version of myself is I'm like Mussolini. Like, oh. do this, do this, do this. <laughs> but three-year-olds. <laughs> then I'm a dictator. Three-year-olds need Mussolini time though. Like that, there are some cases. It's just an age thing. Yeah. You just tell them, like, get over here, do this. Yeah. How about you? Are you an authoritarian? Um. Yes and no. I mean, in you know, in some ways, funny enough, my wife is actually the and more of like an authoritarian in that some is ways. Surprising to me. Are you Explain surprised that. by that? Yes, I am. Yeah. You know, she's the she's kind of like the mean mom kind of type, especially in the mornings, like getting ready nice. for school. Nice. I think I've shared this story in the podcast already. <laughs> Have I said this story about my wife? Like, like the girls are always wanting my wife to take them to school. Uh-huh. Always. She's so warm and caring. I know. They're like, we want mama. And I'm like, I, one morning, I just like had this breakdown. I looked at them and they were both standing there in our entryway, which was a disaster. And wait, listeners, your daughter, Brian's daughters are the cutest <laughs> little girls. I love them. So picture like, yeah, five and an eight-year-old like mm-hmm. standing in a hallway, just like looking all Wide-eyed, after adorable. they've just like complained that I'm taking them to school. And I'm like, why do you want mom to take you to school? Mom is angry every morning. Mom yells at you throughout the morning. Mom, mom drives in silence to school. Mom does not play yeah. music on the iPhone, your little playlist with stuff. They love that uh, um, 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 Weezer's remake of, of Toto's Africa. They love oh, that yeah, song. Actually, and I have that on my phone. I play I it. I do too. It's, I a do good, too. it's a great remake. Yeah. And I'm like, I do that, but you don't want, and I'm like super friendly. I'm making jokes, but you, you want mom to take you to school. Mom uh-huh. who's angry the whole time. Mom who's doing this. And, yeah. they, and they just both stared at me. And the little one just goes... <laughs> 
I said, why would you want mom to take you to school? She goes, mama. Ah, okay, okay. So it's like this primal kind of thing, despite the actions, despite the fact that I'm not the authoritarian. I'm the fun one. I can I can go totally dictator. Well, here's the thing though. I think that that illustrates the, the kind of two-pronged aspects of authoritarian, like the appeal of authoritarianism. Mm. So like there's the one where it's like a the, the nature side of it. Like mm-hmm. there's a primal, like she's their mother, right? Like right. she gave them, she housed them, she gave them life. Right, right. So she is sort of entitled to that on a primal level. But then the second one is the more nurture, which is like people want to be told what to do in certain circumstances. Right, right. Yes, you you develop like this. Yes, it's a very it's a strange relationship. I have because I'm just who I am, you mm-hmm. know, a tall male and I sort of just run through life thinking, "Oh, power is just about authority." It's like you tell people what to do, you're in charge. But I've mm-hmm. discovered recently like this idea of like soft power, like just different kinds of ways. Like more like what you're talking yeah. about, like, "Oh, people think it's their idea, but really you're, you know, like I've just started in my life to experiment with this like with my children and so on." And it's like Oh, that's a great way to exercise authority too. It, it's not just like top down kind of stuff. Isn't this like Michelle, like classic Michel Foucault kind of stuff? Yeah. Didn't Foucault write about this? Yeah, he did. And I think that one of the, to me, one of the fascinating aspects of power relations, as you know, is like the role that your certain social location plays in how you learn how to negotiate right. power. So the, the role that your circumstances play in it. So mm-hmm. for you as a very tall, you know, Type A. Would you describe yourself as Type A? Well, now I know that you do. So I think you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. You're like totally. a. You know. You're really yeah. like commanding. Yeah, no. Dude, of course. You know. Yes, yes. Like the way that you grew up thinking about power in yes. your particular, but also in a working class background, like is a little bit different sure. than the way myself. Although you and I share socioeconomic class in common, I am a somewhat diminutive, size wise woman. <laughs> right. And so, like the 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 location that you're in like determines how you mm. grow up thinking about power. Now, I was raised by a pretty type A dude. And mm-hmm. so like I have a high to- I noticed that at, for a woman, I have a higher tolerance mm. for those kind of circumstances. Like I can right. work with people. Right. Um and there are a lot of women though who are like really uncomfortable with that mm. because they are taught that power is negotiated through like a web of relationships and coalitions right. and right. like creative solutions when you're not ordinarily like just given the authority but what i like about our topic today transition transition time is subtly subtle transition that we're talking about what happens if like we're talking about the the way we negotiate power in a particular social location what happens if society just completely blows up Ooh. like the, how does authority the grid goes and power down. work the grid goes down in the podcast series called blackout which at the time of, of this uh taping here um had eight episodes of season one it kind of ended on a cliffhanger mm-hmm. as though maybe there could be more but it kind of it's a throwback to old-timey radio kind of stuff yeah um they try to do really high quality sound effects and things like that um and it's a story about a community in new hampshire new hampshire yeah. Where the grid goes down and like some shadowy group of, of you know, it seems like anti-government types sort of shut the grid down. They're trying to overthrow the government. But it's a story, it's a kind of micro, that's the major narrative, which doesn't receive a lot of time really no, in the show. No, it's you actually know. like in the background. Yeah, it's in the, the background. It's really about these, uh, it's really about this, the main character is is in the show named Simon Itani. Mm-hmm. And he's played by Rami Malek. 
who yes. is a major actor, um, played Captivating. played the lead singer for for Queen, Freddie Mercury, in the um, Oscar winning um, movie about about uh, about Freddie Mercury recently. What the, what was that called? I think it was just called Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's he's super good, and his voice he, his voice is always like on the verge of crying, kind of like he's a lot of emotion in his voice. He's yeah. just he's a good actor. He he's is great. He is captivating, and I'll tell you what, I really loved him in Mr. Robot, which oh. is a wonderful series, and we should do it sometime. But anyway, he. I, I I don't want to get too much into the reviews because I know we need to get to the meat of things. But um, really quickly, to me, it illustrated how captivating he is to watch. Mm. So it, he, I didn't find him to be as compelling when uh, I only listened to I him. I see. Only the voice. Because he has these huge, beautiful eyes and he has this really right. like striking face. Yes. And I I wasn't as moved by him mm-hmm. when I couldn't see him. I don't know. What, I what was your general well, I, feeling? I, I enjoyed the old-timey radio throwback, the mm-hmm. idea of listening to the story. I mean, isn't this why anybody listens to like This American Life or Radio right, Lab? Right, right. They're wonderful. Because, yeah, you just, you like hearing a story like that. And so I liked listening and I liked that the episodes were like, like short enough that it's like I could kind of follow along. And I imagined myself as some old timey person, like living at the advent of the radio, like I did too. huddled around the radio. And so I think that's what a podcast like that is trying to create at its, at its total best. And so he's a, he's a radio DJ, like a talk radio, not music, but he also yeah. does some like talk elements. And so he kind of like keeps the community connected through his radio show, which somehow keeps broadcasting through the power i guess you can there's a generator there or something like yeah. that yeah yeah and he does he has this really i think he's a progressive rock station dj isn't yes. that what he talks I, about i think so yeah. which is totally like from the left coasts because this is this takes place on the east coast but i'm right. like a portland person this would be their fantasy job where you like <laughs> play progressive rock all the time and, and the grid goes down yeah and the grid goes down but you have some sort of prepper person right. who's like helped you But one of the things that um, I I thought really actually detracted from my enjoyment was there were a lot of ads. This was definitely a corporate sponsored thing. Aren't you glad, listeners, that we're not just jumping in with ads? Like yeah. now we're going to hear from our sponsor. It's like you're interrupted like five times this during. M- yeah, this morning while I was getting ready, I li- re-listened to the last episode so I could yeah. be prepared, and they had an Orkin commercial, like for the. Like, you know, they were talking about, do you have rats in your house? Do you have blah, blah, blah? <laughs> like, call the Orkin man. I'm like, this is no. so distracting. What I guess are we talking about? old-timey radio probably had some ads too, but it just wasn't so ubiquitous. I, this has become everything now. I was just on a webpage just before we, we started recording, and it's like, I couldn't even see the material because of the pop-ups. Yeah. What is with this pop-up ad culture? I'm so sick. People are... They're, just mark my words. Mark my words. <laughs> you heard it here. Advertisers are going to pay for this because people are not, people are tuning out of all this stuff. People don't want to see this. Well, yeah. So when I was a kid, I, I've i never really shared this in any public venue, but my dad had this old timey, like from the 1930s record player. And so he got all of these old uh, radio hour shows. So mm. I've actually listened to hours and hours and hours of oh, nice. traditional like 1930s, 1940s, 1950s radio shows. Mm-hmm. And I'll just tell you this, they were a lot more skilled when it came to advertising. Uh, like sometimes you don't even know that the ads are happening. They were so right. good. So I, when I was listening to this, I thought, oh, this is a really important and fun art form. And I don't think people today are as skilled 
at manipulating right. it as they were, you right. know, when they had like a few decades under their belt. Well, the other thing too is like on a podcast, you can just fast forward like 15 or 30 seconds like past the ads, which is what I was doing. Right. Like, does anybody ever respond to a mailer like that or an, a pop-up ad? Like you buy something because an ad pops up in your face. I guess it's not about buying, but about recognition of a brand. I don't know. Yeah. I was really turned off by that too, but I, I got around it. But um, yeah, so Simon Itani, yeah. he's in this town and things, things, dis- I mean- it's not too much of a spoiler to say things disintegrate in this town. Exactly. Say. Yeah. And throughout, I mean, from the very first episode, there's this feeling of foreboding because the story is told from like in the future, you know? So there's right. a lot of kind of little mentions where he's like, if I would have known then. Right. Dun, like dun, this is my, dun. these are my recordings that I left for yeah. posterity. Like yeah. That kind like of he doesn't know if he's the only man alive now. But um, one of the things like, there are two overarching questions that we thought that they tackled, you and I, when we were talking about it. And mm-hmm. one is the question of technology. So, like, are we better off with technology as technology ruined our lives and we should destroy it? Keeps coming up repeatedly in the story. Yeah. And the other big one was how does authority function in hard times? Like, if you destroy all the traditional structures, what are you left with? Which one do you think we should tackle first? Let's, um, well, let's let's do the first one. Um, let's do are we better off without yeah. technology? I mean, what do you think? Oh, gosh. It's like, it it seems in some ways, it's kind of like a cliche question to ask. I think because it's become the question of our time. Yeah. Like, has technology helped us or hurt us and how? And obviously, probably like with so many things, boringly. Boringly? Is that an an adverb? I like it. He said boringly. Boringly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know, it's like, um, it's just around us. And so I think we're constantly asking, you know, would we be better off without the internet? I think now people are finding out about Facebook. You know, there was this time when people were really into Facebook. And now it's like, we're learning that they're, we're learning all the things that we already knew, that they're watching us and that they're selling our data and blah, 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 blah. And I guess... um, it's just, I think it's impossible to know because like we're stuck with this. It'd be like, it's like asking if, yeah, it just, um, it, 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 but it has become a very acute kind of problem. And in the show, for example, you've got these teens who sneak off. They mm-hmm. tell their parents they're going to a sports event, mm-hmm. that they're going to play hockey or something. But then they're going off into the woods just to go camping. And as one of the teens says in a very on the nose way, he's like, yeah, yeah. Hey, we're going off camping in the woods to escape the tyranny of social media. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. Like, like, <laughs> we, like, we teens, say, like teens are rebelling against the social media thing. And right? We should also say, and somebody is going to send me an example of me being wrong about this, but we should also say that the, the aesthetic <laughs> is very, um, it's very overt. Like the accents seem like, are there 17 year old kids who talk like that now? Because it sort of sounds like, I don't know, like get in the car, you know, like it's very cartoonish. It's <laughs> okay. pretty over the top. So I did live on the East Coast. I lived in Boston Tell for me, five years. Are there 17 year olds? Yes, everybody really? has. Yeah, people who are locals okay. definitely have that. Oh, kind I of love accent. that. So well, I love regionalism. So that's I cool. think that was a very, yes, like it's it's depicted as a smaller town, New Hampshire and Berlin. Okay. Not okay. Berlin, Berlin. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, that's very small town, New England. Yeah. So okay. that aspect of it, I would say, is very, um, is very accurate, but but the characters are constantly reflecting on this. Yeah, technology. On this question. I mean, l- let me twist the question. It's yeah. such a big question just to ask, though. Like, just bluntly, like, are we all better off without it? Do you think that that faith communities or the ones that you're familiar with would be better off without technology as part of their services and what they do? Well. I want to ask you to answer that question first, and then I'm going to think about it. Oh, so you want to yeah. think and you want yeah, me to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's a cop out. Go. Nice. Nice job. <laughs> nice. What a blunt technique. That's power right there. Just be like, it's on the no, you do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's my authority. I, Go. I, um, 
Yeah, you know, it's weird. Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll tell this little story. I visited a church recently right. that had a, just a gorgeous, gorgeous sanctuary. Mm. I mean, the altar was just beautiful. The interior was gorgeous. The pews, everything was just beautiful. How and wonderful. it was it was a nice church. This is not a, there's not a huge but in this story in terms of like the quality of the church. But I'm okay. reflecting specifically on the idea of technology in churches. But they also use technology in a way like screens and, and the way that the music was and the way that they had certain lights like juxtaposed the traditional things mm-hmm. that I, I just sat there in the service thinking to myself, Look, oh church, what you have as your greatest asset here is this building, is that altar, is that mm. finely carved cross. All of this is like a huge asset. And I'm thinking like people which should come here to experience that. Mm. Mm-hmm. They, they want to come here to have those feelings. But then it's like there was this bizarre out of left field interruption with the technology and it felt very incongruous to me. And so that was an environment where I was very clearly thinking right here, right now, this technology is not helping anyone. Right. Like we'd be better off living in the stone age, you know, and maybe that's, maybe that's what churches can offer to the world is like, you come in here, we're not, you know, churches have been in this mad, mad rush to embrace millennials, embrace young families. And so that involves all the video elements and doing e-giving, you know, you can donate to the church on PayPal, text your tithe tithe, and here's a little video warm up for this thing. And I get, I get it all. And, you know, maybe if I were working in a church, I would totally see the need for that kind of stuff. But I, as a congregant, let's say, I look at that and I just think that is not what I want. Okay. Well, I've thought about this a lot because I don't think that you and I disagree about that. I mean, there are plenty of times where I'm just like, this is way too much. And I should say that I was raised in a tradition that is built on capitalizing on technology in, in churches. So I was thinking to myself as you were talking, like, how could I come up with a counter response that I believe in? <laughs> yes. Like, okay. what, what would the hypothetical, you still believe in it response be to that critique? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I'm just going to experiment with giving a tech, uh, an apology for technology in churches. Yeah, do it. Which is to say that it, while it is true that there's some aspects of of like Christianity and like the ch- the product that the church is selling to use completely yeah, like just go economic there. If terms. you're going to defend it, just defend yeah. it. Yeah, the product. While that is true, or or let's say like the gift that the church offers to the world. <laughs> there right? we go. Um, while it's true that it, that it, these there are, I th- I believe that are they are primarily like ancient truths. The the thing that I keep coming back to about technology and the reason why I think it will perpetually be a tension in the Christian church is that from the outset, the Christian church has relied on new technologies Mm. to get its message out there. So, for example, there's this great line in one of my favorite musicals, Jesus Christ Superstar, Mm. that talks about Israel in 4 BC had no mass communication. Like, why did you come during this time? There was no mass communication. Actually, that's not quite true. In the first century, there was, like, for the first time, a version of mass communication and mass transportation. So, like, the idea that Christian, the Christian message became a global message in part because of these new technologies that were allowing it to spread throughout the globe. So I think while on the one hand, like there will, there's a part of me and I'll say it is the grumpiest part of me and it's right that I don't like seeing like technology take over. I don't think you can always, you know, you can lose it altogether right? because part of, of the DNA of of like the Christian movement so, includes this. So are you talking about like Roman systems of road and, and 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 almost like a kind of like ancient postal service that that the Roman Empire sort of Yeah, like there's this great like scene in Life of Brian, which is a hilarious Monty Python film where they're talking about like 
they're Jewish zealots and they're saying like, down with Rome. And they're like, except for the roads. Yeah, okay, except for the roads. And then they're yeah, like, yeah. but down with Rome. And they're like, well, except for like the water system. Oh yeah, down with that. Like, <laughs> you know, so there's like all these kinds of technologies right. that the that the religion itself depends right. on. And you also have, I, I don't think there was like one moment at which this happened, but you have gradually really in the first century CE, the development, and I think a greater, increasingly greater use of the codex form, like a book. Oh, right. As opposed to a scroll. I mean, scrolls are really bad for information. You know, you have to, I mean, they're good for a certain kind of information. They're good for certain kinds of authorities keeping information in a very particular kind of way. You can't mass produce scrolls exactly, yeah. but a codex is a little more handy. You can flip pages through it. You can you can easily go to the end in the beginning, whereas a scroll, it's harder to do that. Um, and so you get the invention and rise of the book, which mirrors in some ways the rise of Christianity. And then, of course, at the printing press and the Reformation, of course, that's a, that's a known story that the Reformation in the 16th century coincides with the invention of a printing press, roughly. That's right. And so you can do you can spread a message that way. That's a technology too. And I think that, okay, so now I'm going to talk myself back to your side of things uh, right. originally, which is we have to acknowledge that technologies change message, right? Mm -hmm. So like, so for example, if you, you know, in the Reformation era, and I always teach that like technology was one of, new technologies were one of the major like engines that backed mm -hmm. the Reformation and other, you know, large social movements. Mm -hmm. Um but if you start looking at the Bible in a, in, a, in a different, like with different technological mechanisms, mm -hmm. that in some ways changes the meaning. Like American Bibles were like that too. There was this Bible called the Schofield Bible, which really changed. It was actually produced by an American businessman. He had no like Bible training whatsoever. Nice. I mean, not whatsoever, but he was not a professional Bible scholar like yourself, Dr. Doak. Mm. And that, like the way that we think about those things has that changes the meaning. Totally. Yeah. All right. What about this? Okay. And I think it's one of the, one, in one of the later episodes of the Blackout Podcast, I think it's episode six or seven or somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. There's this older female character who turns kind of into a villain. Oh, yeah. She's great. And she meets with the mayor of the town. Turns out that this older woman, I forgot her name in the podcast, but she's kind of <sighs> like, too. she's kind of like this shadowy figure who's kind of like maybe in on the blackout and who wants to capitalize on it. And basically, it's actually fascinating to see a female character be like the dictator yeah. of this town, which she does become. The dictator, you would picture traditionally like this male figure would become the dictator, mm -hmm. but nope, it's this old woman. Uh, I don't know how old she is, but she's she's older. And she meets with the mayor in this church. It's presumably some kind of Catholic or maybe some kind of mainline type church. Yeah. And they mention the idea, she mentions the idea um, as part of the story that people really don't attend there anymore. Just some old people and everybody had left for some contemporary church by the highway that plays rock music. Yeah. I think the mayor says, but the old woman points out, now people are starting to come back to the old church during the blackout. And the woman says something like, when times are tough, people go back to tradition. You know, and uh -huh. now that the world is chaotic, People will need to go back to real authority, real authority, um, and 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 we're going to need to re reintroduce some serious hierarchy. Like, yeah, they get back to that message. Do you think, as a scholar of of uh, of religious religious studies and Amer American religious history, do you think that that's true? That just in terms of like how authority is created and maintained in communities, that tough times will lead to more hierarchical leaders, and that. Um, she's basically right that people are coming back to their church because of the blackout. Well, I think that actually that is certainly the argument that every dictator makes, 
right? Like, so... Like, we need this. Times are tough. We need this. Yeah, Yeah. times are tough. Get in order, right? Right. And so, usually, like, the the dictator who wants to make that... and, And I'll just say, like, the leader of a religious movement that might be defined as a cult, (laughs) but we won't call it that. But um, like, those are the types of leaders. Those are the kinds of arguments they make oftentimes, you know, Mm -hmm. like come to me, I am safe. Right. So, and they're usually making that from a, they're, they're appealing to the authority of tradition. Now there's a sociologist of religion and um, an all all around fascinating man, a guy named Max Weber, Mm. um, who my husband insists on calling Max Weber at cocktail parties (laughs) because he just likes to- It's embarrassing. He likes to mispronounce things just to make- all of the, you know, middle-class professors irritated with him. but He's making a mockery. Yeah, he's funny. But anyway, Max Weber um, argues that there are three different kinds of authority. Now, he says that, like, authority is the kind of power that you exert over people that's not coercive, right? So, like, it it requires people to recognize that someone has the power to act on behalf of a community. And he— uses three he says that there are like three different types of authority they get used in different ways and usually like people are appealing to different types you know the same person can appeal to s- several different types mm. one is traditional which is the idea that power is is like uh given to people over time it's the argument that this woman is making in the blackout then there's rational legal authority which is Basically, the idea that authority is established through bureaucratic means, laws and passing of laws. Okay, but what about that first type? Is that kind of like a top-down type of authority where somebody's like in control? Well, it's basically authority that's handed down, like through cul- through cultural patterns over time. Like a king to a king's son. A king son. to a king, yeah. Okay, so, like, it. somebody has authority. Like, this woman has authority in the town, you know, because I was the mayor or, or yeah, yeah. whatever. But so I even, don't know what she is. She's There is a separate mayor, but she supplants the mayor. Yeah, she's whatever her character. I can't remember what her she character is. She does. She does. There's some Does she own the store or is that she, the, I think she does own a store. Okay. Okay, yeah. So, she's got the resources. We don't know any more about this than people who haven't watched it at all. And that <laughs> makes it, if you haven't listened to this, who cares? That's, I think actually we're perfect. That's a critique of the show, but whatever, because I just listened to it. <laughs> That's true. But anyway, so then the third type is charismatic authority, which is the idea that someone is in their person is, mm. um, is displaying a certain type of admirable quality that people want to right. participate in. It could be like like personal holiness, or it could be this type of like like what we think of as charm or charisma. Right. So usually, like he says, the authorities established. Through appeals to all three of these in different ways in different times. Mm-hmm. So I actually think, back to your question, then I want to turn it to you to see what you think about mm-hmm. like like authority in the in mm-hmm. the Bible and stuff. I actually think that under pressure, different types of people, like different totally. types of leaders. So you might have someone who is like a very charismatic leader that is able to like wrangle the people um, and who's also appealing to like, hey, you guys elected me. And I'm also displaying this kind of authority. So I think the authoritarian, like the harsh, the hardcore, like top down, like that's only one way to do it. What do you think? How how does this? This reminds me of the the archetypal struggle in every in every kind of evangelical church, certainly in every Pentecostal or charismatic church between the worship leader and the senior pastor, right? Because the (laughs) worship leader has the musical skills, can just kind of come out with the guitar and is like, that's classic charismatic leadership. It's strength of personality that the worship leader doesn't need to maybe be in this kind of way. I'm talking about it, the son of the previous senior pastor. But then this other type of like administrative leadership is much more like, I'm the pastor because I was elected as pastor by the board and that's why this and the, and, and the worship pastor is just like leading people off like 
I'm in, I'm in charge because you love me. Oh my god! As gosh. opposed to, you know, like I've seen that, that go down. Okay. Definitely. I think you're so right. And that's where like people who don't typically get like the traditional authority ascribed to men mm-hmm. or to white men, like the people who don't typically have access to that kind of authority mm-hmm. often use the, the charismatic means because it doesn't necessarily depend on being voted in or some sort of right. bureaucratic structure or tradition. But I'm dying to hear what you think about the Bible, like yeah, how yeah. how do figures in the Bible? Well, the, the thing that comes to mind when you even talk about charismatic leadership and just a major leadership moment in the Bible, if you want to go back and read the Bible and muse on leadership, you got to read the book of Judges. Oh, really? Yeah, because- I'm surprised, why? Yeah, because Judges is really about- it's about leadership and leadership struggles. It's about charismatic leadership. Someone probably has done a Weberian analysis of judges I'm and charismatic sure, yeah. leadership because Israel has no king in this era. This is like, okay, quick plot of the Bible. God creates the world, gives his promise to a family, Abraham and Sarah. They kind of live it out. They end up in Egypt, their family does. Then they get out of Egypt. That's the book of Exodus. <laughs> then they get into the land and they have this huge war and they have a leader named Joshua, but he dies. Now who's going to be the leader? Spoiler. Now, now comes the book of Judges. Now it's like anybody who's like charismatic or enough or strong enough or winning enough in a kind of guerrilla military sense to just take power and throw off Israel's oppressors gets to be in charge. This can even be women at times. Deborah, of course, becomes one of these judge figures who judges Israel and does this kind of thing. So you have that, but the book makes this point then, especially in very painful and and violent and even graphic ways toward the end, that in these days, Israel has no king. And then they proceed to tell you a story of total religious foolery and infidelity and everything's going wrong. And then they're like, yeah, in those days when Israel had no king, reminder, and then they tell a horrible story about (laughs) a woman who dies and gets dismembered and all this kind of stuff. Um, And then it all ends in a civil war. And what follows upon that? Namely, the book of Samuel and the election of Saul as king. The people ask for a king and God's like, how dare you ask for a king? I wanted to be your ruler directly, but now, you know, and so it's very confusing. Israel's very confused about how to lead. Um, But the book of Judges is a great example of of a time when, you know, times are very tough, Israel is struggling and it calls for strong authority figures, Mm -hmm. namely like the judges, but then really like Saul and then really like David is the kind of end of this pattern of get an authority figure in here who can make this work, who can bring this town into order. So if David were the king of this little New Hampshire town, yeah. Like what which character would he be? Or like can you can you compare? Oh, Cuz yeah. now I'm curious yeah. about that. Like let's say King David be, let, okay, let's say it's Simon Atani in the show, the radio Is, DJ guy, instead of getting kicked out, he leads some kind of coup and he ends up like you know, the woman ends up the older female character who had taken charge, she ends up getting killed by someone who is like one of Simon's allies. So she so saw he doesn't really have to do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's Somebody right. She's does. like Saul and she gets supplanted and then everyone just loves him. But he's been kind of doing the Machiavellian thing behind the, behind the scenes. Okay, so now I'm imagining the whole of Israel as like this little town and they're in this kind of discombobulated state. Yes, that's the book of Judges, totally. They're just losing. That's Everything's good. going bad, you know. Yeah. I think Judges is the place that you want to go. I mean, one question that seems to to hover around these kinds of post-apocalyptic type shows though is like, how would you, oh listener, how would you, oh Leah Payne? Yeah react in, in a situation like this? Like, who would you be? What would you do? What would you believe? Would you be a leader or a follower? Would you be a villain? Would you be a hero? Would, would you cling to the to tradition, especially in the form of religion? Yeah. Or would you discard it in favor of some new kind of organization or reality? Well, I can tell you who I'd hope I would be. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things that I thought was interesting about this was like this idea that it's this community at the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a famous example from early American religious history of this this little tiny community this um, in <clears throat> the Northeast that faces this 
sort of like bleak reality, and then they have to decide how they're going to act. Mm. And there's one figure, this woman named Anne Hutchinson, who she was living in the Massachusetts. And this is a, and this is a real person. This is a real this person a real story. Okay. in the Massachusetts Bay Company oh. or uh, Colony. Colony yes. Sorry, um, in the 17th century, and she basically like rejects the traditional leadership on mm. religious grounds. And she believes, and she like starts ta- teaching the Bible. And it's no problem because she's teaching the Bible to women and so people don't care about that. But then when their husbands come and they start listening, they care about that. Mm. And she is banished from the community. Oh. And which was basically a death sentence in that era. And she eventually ends up dying. But- um, A cheery story. It's a cheery story. But she's like tremendously courageous mm-hmm. and not afraid to speak her mind and to speak out according to her religious conviction. I hope I would be like her. Right. But honestly, if I were in my current state, which is the mother of two young children, I'd be like, survive at all costs, I think. That's what I was just going to say. I was going to say, I would be afraid of what I would descend to in order for my family to survive. Me too. Hey, thanks for listening, weirdos. We love all our weirdos, near and far. For extras and extra nerdy Easter eggs on subjects covered in this episode, don't forget to click on the hyperlinks in each episode's description on our website, weirdreligion.com. And join our social media conversations about religion and pop culture on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Weird Religion. And we're YouTubing now, so find us on YouTube. YouTube us. (laughs) No. (laughs) These episodes were produced at Stone Bear Studios, engineered by Luke DiLorenzo and executive produced by Troy Wellstad. Our theme music is by Cassie Blum and our album artwork by John Williams. A special shout out to Portland Seminary for sponsoring the season and to trigger the studio dog. When you podcast, podcast with us. Bye. Bye.